Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Okay. Nick, I often have clients who will, of course, talk about relationships with other people and um, often about people that they're involved with romantically or maybe their children or a friend at work or whatever that is, but they'll really want me to give them advice on how to help them convince their son, boyfriend, girlfriend, um, friend um, to to enter therapy, to go seek therapy. Um, And I'm curious as to what you tell clients when they ask you this, because I'm sure you get these questions as well. You know, how do I convince my boyfriend that they need therapy how do you respond to that I usually start by helping them um, set expectations realistically Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what I mean by that is I granted I haven't been doing this for decades but in my experience as a therapist and I hear this question a lot too um, your odds of convincing someone else to start therapy are not high Right. I think just in general. I think even if you conditions are perfect and you treat it, you do it in the right way, and you, I just think it's not. I've not seen a lot of success with that. Um, just statistically, we, we could speculate on on why, and maybe we'll get into that a little bit more. But I, I think that's important to communicate to people off the bat to sort of set their expectations that um, you can't just get someone into therapy. Mm-hmm. Now that's hard, I think, because um, oftentimes people are motivated to do that because of a lot of pain or stress, right? They see their kid in a really awful situation or they see their spouse going through something really difficult and they have a very good hunch that um, therapy could help a lot. Um, so there's a lot of pressure, I think, to want to make it happen, Um but I think it's it's important to realize off the bat it's a it's a very complicated, sensitive, personal thing, and it's I just haven't seen a lot of evidence of that being easy to do to get someone else into therapy. Would would you agree, or what do you think? Oh, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, it's really challenging. I think to convince someone that 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 therapy is the right thing to do, and and therapy is a, a challenging thing in itself. So. You're trying to convince someone to do something that's very difficult in some some ways, and with a lot of kind of stigma attached to it. Sure, on top of that, um, I'm always when I get this question though, I'm always really interested in my client's motivation for wanting their, you know, boyfriend, son, whatever, to get into therapy because often this is their solution to their own anxiety or their own fears. That, that therapy will be a cure for them or that it'll, um, or that the person they want to go into therapy will see things their way sometimes. Like, um, and so sometimes the motivation they come in with, you know, hey, help me convince my husband to go to therapy because I need him to see that his behavior is not appropriate or whatever, you know, and that might be their diagnosis of what's going on. Right. Yeah. So, so how do you, how do you approach that? If, if you think your client is maybe being 
kind of uh, self-serving in their motivations with that? What, what would your response or approach be? I, I would just start by asking, well, what do you think therapy would do for them? What are you hoping that therapy might help them with, you know? And, and, and then a conversation about, do you, does this person agree that this is a problem for them? You know, and they often it's like, no, they don't agree. Right. And then your chances of convincing them are, are almost non-existent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that's a good point. What about though, when you, um, after doing that and after talking through it with your client, you basically agree with them that, yeah, your husband probably could use a lot of therapy. Um, what's sort of phase two, if you, if you do sort of think, yeah, it'd probably be a good idea for the other person. Well, again, you know, your expectations have to be very low. And, and I definitely talk to them about, you know, um, wanting something from someone and, and trying to force them to do something is, is a low percentage play, you know? Um, so, so my advice is usually be very loving, caring, and supportive as you talk to them. You know, you don't want to sound judgmental or pushy. I think a lot of, uh, from time to time, I'll, I'll see mostly husbands whose wives have demanded that they go to therapy or else kind of thing. And that is awful. <laughs> the, the, the husband does not want to be there at all, is only doing this to pacify um, his spouse. And it's an, it's an awful experience. It's just not a good thing. So um, if you can lovingly convince and tactfully talk about your concerns with that person and express to them maybe some of the benefits that, that you've had, that they've had through therapy, that might be an approach. But I think the idea is to um, have really low expectations and to realize that you can't control others. Mm. I, I think that is a a big reason a why people want to do this, but then also why it, it tends to go wrong is that the, the intensity with which people feel the need to get someone else into therapy ends can end up blinding them to the most strategic way to go about it. So what I mean by that is let's say you, um, you know, let's say you have a, um, I don't know, a, a daughter who is really struggling with a lot of depression, right? And you, it's just painful. Like you see it day in and day out how miserable your daughter, your own child is, right? That's going to create a lot of emotion in you, right? Un, undoubtedly. Um, and it's it, there's so much intensity there that you just, you want to make it happen. Like it just has to happen. And so you, you end up falling into a more, an overly kind of forceful, aggressive way of going about getting someone into therapy. And I think it's just, it's not, that path just does not work. And as you pointed out, even if it does work in getting them in, your odds of it being successful have probably decreased because they're in it for the wrong reason. They're just doing it to pacify right. you. So I think it's really hard for people who have a lot of emotion about getting someone else into therapy. You have to be able to tolerate that emotion and know that it's it's likely, very likely, a long, indirect process of someone, at best, coming to the realization on their own that they really need to do this and wanting, having the motivation and willingness to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I, well, in your, in your example, you also said that the person 
um, maybe say this has to happen. And there's a brutal philosophy, you know, like, um, you know, this must be, and, and that's a dangerous um, contingency to put yourself at the, at the mercy of, you know, because you cannot control other people for the most part. And, and the ways in which people try to control other people are not healthy usually. Yeah. But I think that's so, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I, I think it's, I think it's one of the things we as human beings suck at the most is dealing with helplessness. Like when we're confronted with a situation where for the most part, we really don't have any control we just like, it's almost like we have built in denial and there's probably evolutionary reasons why that's the case. Like it, it, it's probably beneficial to sort of have an, an unrealistic idea <laughs> of your own sort of effect. Like it's better to just try harder. Right, right. Well, I'm sure that helplessness isn't really, um, a great thing when it comes to survival. <laughs> no, but the, the, the denial of helplessness is, that's I what I mean. Your survival, so your survival often depends on you not feeling helpless. Yeah, like, exactly. On you kind of being irrationally, ver- voraciously involved, controlling. Sure, yeah, yeah, and, and making sure. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it's just it's a fact of life that we we have a lot less control, certainly a lot less direct control than we think we do. So I just I don't know. I have a lot of empathy for those people who who just feel so strongly that they. They just need to make it happen. Maybe they know intellectually that's not the best way to go about it, but they experience so much secondhand suffering that they just, they're kind of overwhelmed by that. And it clouds their, it clouds their judgment about how to go about it in the most strategic way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think even if your odds are not great in general of getting someone else to go into therapy, I think there are, and you alluded to some of them, I think, I I think there are more or less strategic ways to go about that. Um, Yeah. I think, well, there's a uh, therapeutic technique called motivational interviewing where you kind of help someone explore their own ambivalence about a problem. And that might be helpful. If you can ask questions of this person that you'd like to see go into therapy. If you can ask questions that help them kind of elaborate on how their life might be better if this problem wasn't a problem and how um, elaborate on what this problem is costing them in some ways, sometimes it it helps to kind of just help the other person elaborate on their experience of this issue. And they might arrive at that decision on their own, but that's, that's probably the most healthy way is to help that person come in contact with some of the benefits and disadvantages of the issue they're facing. Hmm. But the idea of helping them elaborate on something that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that kind of precludes you just telling them what you think the problem is. You don't want to do that. Right? Yeah. They, you have to, you can't tell them. You have to, at most, kind of guide them to it indirectly. Sure. Sure. Um, But that, again, that's hard when there's so much pressure to make it happen right oh yeah 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 well and 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 i think a lot of my when this question comes up my first and foremost concern always is is what is my client's perception here right it it, i'm not so concerned and this sounds very cold i don't care whether their partner goes to therapy or not at that point i'm more worried about why my client is fixated on this and and Hmm. insists that it has to happen and then if we both have the discussion and it seems like it would be helpful and my client's motivations are sound and, and all those things, then we can talk about here's the best ways maybe to facilitate that but have realistic expectations of that. But I'm, 
I'm more concerned usually with my clients experience not sure there and that makes sense professionally yeah. but what about as a therapist i'm i'm sure you get um people outside of therapy who go to you with that same question oh sure right sure. so friends family members people just know that you're a psychologist mm-hmm. then that that changes the dynamic a little bit there right yeah and, and often you know I, I hate to say that and sometimes a person's person you know is receptive to that so i'll get calls that say hey you know my my uh cousin is looking for a therapist and, and how do I help them find, you know, that's different. But when you're trying to cold convince someone Mm -hmm. that maybe isn't even aware of this idea that they need to now go to therapy, mm, that's a, that's a low percentage shot. And I think I tell people a lot, you don't, you know, you don't convince anybody. So here's my, let me give you my, I'm curious to see what what you think of my one strategy that I think probably is your best shot. Um, okay. I still don't think it's very high odds. Now, this is the best shot of, you're like explaining to someone how to convince their friend to go to therapy. Yeah, your, okay. your buddy comes to you and says, you know, my, um, I, I really think my wife needs to go to therapy. How do I convince her to do it? Okay. Right. My r- response to that is, the, the first part is, go to therapy yourself. Okay. If you re- and this is if a per- if you really want someone else to go to therapy, whether or not you need it or not, you think you need it or not, do it yourself. Okay. Get into it because first, if you're going to recommend something to someone, you're going to be a lot more credible if you've actually. It's not just some idea that you think is good that they should do, but you've been in it. You're in there. So yeah. I think that's that's the first thing. The second thing is I think it's a basic principle of persuasion that you should show rather than tell. Like showing is always more convincing than telling someone. So like, you know, whether it's a a great movie or a great, any other kind of great work of art or great sales copy or a great ad or a great argument in a trial, showing people why you believe something is true is always more effective than just telling it to them intellectually. Okay. So I think if you can go into therapy and show how it's being helpful for you in a very non-pushy, non-direct way, I think that's actually your best odds of convincing someone that they should try it out themselves. Mm -hmm. Now that's a long, intensive kind of process. It would be way easier to just (laughs) berate the person every time you see them and say, you really need to get into therapy. And it feels like a more direct approach. Yeah, well, yeah, but the whole point is, I for a problem like this, I suspect that the more indirect the approach, the the better. I agree. I actually agree with this. Um, I like this approach because you're saying be a good example. Exactly. My mom in my head. Be a good example. <laughs> be a good example. Yeah, <laughs> but it also it's strategic in that it you then you can really know what you're talking about because really if you just if you're just saying at least to some degree. You can you can say like yeah like I was struggling with this thing and this is how you know when I go into therapy this is what we talk about and it's kind of made me think about this and I've kind of changed this a little bit and it's been hard but you know what like I just feel really good every time I walk out of therapy and I feel kind of relieved and I I think I am kind of building some new skills which is cool and it's mm-hmm. that's really helping me and yeah I don't know I'm just um, I'm I'm glad I decided to do it without saying therefore you need to try it. Right. I think that's the kicker. Like you can't make it direct if you want it to be effective. Yeah. Now that's a big ask. 
go into therapy yourself, <laughs> spend months and months in therapy yourself, and then only talk about how it's beneficial to you without trying to convince them overtly. Mm-hmm. But if you really care about this enough, I think you will go to whatever lengths necessary. So you, you've taken the really low percentage shot of convincing someone and now gone to the be a good example. And it's a low percentage shot as well. But oh, yeah. Higher than. But I think it's higher than yeah. just telling them you the need brute to get force, into The brute force, you have to do it. Yep. And I, and I see people use ultimatums a lot to convince people. I, I would say, I mean, there's, I guess there's a context for that <laughs> when when maybe a, a substance abuse problem has gotten so out of hand that it's directly, you know, it's tearing your relationship apart or something like that. Like maybe ultimatums can be used there, but in, in, in most relationships, I would say ultimatums are not a good idea. Do you think that's because the ultimatum itself um, ruins any further chance of success or because by the time you've got to the point of making ultimatums, you're probably past the point of no return already? Well, that that could be, um, but I, I, ultimatums are brutal. I think you know, um, and and the compliance you get out of an ultimatum isn't out of a genuine devotion, love, caring. It's it's purely to pacify, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, but I think people give ultimatums out of love, like they think. We've tried everything else, and this is the only way I know how to hopefully sure. make things better. I'm going to force an ultimatum. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, but to me, that comes out of well, there, it's either an ultimatum or I can't do anything, and I'm I'm helpless. Helpless. I see. Yeah, that's yeah, possible. I, I I just think, um, well, like like ultimatums. Then I I would think would be a last ditch effort. Yeah. You know. I right. mean, that's a that's a Hail Mary pass right there. Right. And um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's a pragmatic way to look at it. If you really have exhausted every other kind of avenue for persuading someone. And, and the problem is severe s- severe enough to yeah. warrant that, yeah. I would right. agree. Yeah, but contextual, contextually, I'm sure there's context where an ultimatum is, you know, appropriate. But mm-hmm. I, I would think those would be lower than... <laughs> than uh, a low, yeah, a low percentage yeah. number of contexts, yeah. So what do you what do you do then if you if you either you're not willing to do an ultimatum or it doesn't work, and you're just sort of faced with helplessness? Like this gets beyond our initial topic, but I think there probably are a lot of people out there who have who have tried a lot of different things and just cannot get someone to go to therapy, and they're just faced with the distress of seeing someone suffer and not do the thing that they need to do to get better. How do you, how do you cope with that, with that helplessness? Well, I think, uh, there's probably several approaches, you know, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't don't know. And maybe it's my own, um, hatred of helplessness, but, um, are you helpless? Like, I mean, there's probably things you can, you can, skills you can learn to help manage your own distress at that, build a tolerance for those kind of experiences. Um, you know, to me, again, it, it you know, it, it, it makes me wonder, like, how severe is the problem? Is, is, a, is a need that you have, you know, at stake here? Like, how, how, how vital is this? What do you mean? What's an example of that? 
Um, if your partner has a gambling problem and your survival now depends on them not gambling, oh. you know, then, um, then the way you would, you address that problem might be different from my partner has a strange way of invalidating my emotions when we get in an argument. Mm-hmm. Those are two different severities, you know, one you could probably tolerate for the rest of your life, one you can't. So, um, the way you would address that is probably different. One's maybe a preference versus a, a need. Gotcha. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a big it's a big question. So one of the things I notice behind, oftentimes behind helplessness is, or when, when we're in a situation where there's perceived helplessness, we're confronted with a very strong emotion that we really don't like. So the mm-hmm. really common one is sadness. Mm-hmm. So when you see someone you love suffering, you're going to feel sad. Hopefully. Now, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> if you don't. But I think a, a lot of us are, we're very intolerant of sadness. We, we really, understandably, don't like feeling sad. So we're, we're used to trying to do things to make sadness go away. Maybe that's we distract ourselves, or we try and force someone to change so that we don't have to feel as sad anymore. And but whatever it is, we you talked about building emotional tolerance, and so I think that's a really potentially helpful strategy for someone in that that helpless situation is to think, okay, if I really stop and think, if I stop thinking about the other person and focus a little bit on myself, what am I feeling when I when I think about this person I love who's suffering? How do I feel? How good at, am I at just feeling that without doing anything? Mm-hmm. Perhaps without demanding they go to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, and yeah. so kind of getting, I don't want to use the phrase getting in touch with, but <laughs> reflecting on your, and this kind of goes back to your point initially, is reflecting on the you part in the equation. Like what's going on with you? Because if there really is nothing you can do for the other person, Maybe there are still things you can do for yourself, mm-hmm. like exploring your own sadness, something maybe you have not done a whole lot of. You're, you're so good at sort of changing your environment and persuading people to do things and distracting yourself that you're not, you're just not very aware of what, what that's like. Um, so that's, you know, that's a thought. And who knows, maybe it leads you into therapy and that ends up convincing person to, <laughs> to try it themselves. <laughs> I, I think by far the, I mean, I get this in therapy a lot. You know, how do I convince my husband, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, <clears throat> whoever, that they need therapy? And and my, my short answer to that is you don't, you know. I mean, convincing someone of anything is kind of tricky business anyway. Um, that's not what I would do as a therapist, right? I think if 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 I had a client who felt like they were done with therapy, you know, before I thought they really were, it'd be a similar conversation. I might ask questions about, um, what they've learned about their problem. If they feel like they're capable of handling it and, and then allow them their own process. You know, I, I'm not going to, I don't think I've ever tried to convince someone to stay in therapy Mm -hmm. other than if I feel like they're dangerous or to themselves or somebody else. But, I, I don't know that I've ever tried to convince a client to stay in therapy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What do you think? Well, I think that's, maybe this get, touches on the how bad we are at helplessness, but um, I think while a lot of us, we like the idea that we are 
um, that we acknowledge that other people kind of are their own people and have free will and ultimately are responsible for their own lives. But I think we like that intellectually, but I don't think a lot of us really are okay with that idea deep down, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, really, I think I, I, I see it myself a lot. Like I love the idea of seeing everyone else in the world as they're their own people and ultimately they can make their own decisions. You're anti-autonomy, Nick, is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, no, I think, but we all have this fundamentally, this pretty strong pull to, I guess, control other people according to what we think is the right thing for them. Some more than others. Some more. Maybe I'm showing more of my cards here than, <laughs> than I thought I was. Um, but I think in different ways, we all, we all like control. And I think other people fall under that umbrella just as much as other our environment sure, does or our sure. whatever. So I think it, it, situations like this potentially are a opportunity to confront that. I guess it's kind of like an existential philosophical question of like, do I, how much do I really truly respect the autonomy of other people? Mm. Mm. Well, I know, I know personally, I, you might be prone to be anti-autonomy. Just kidding. No, you're not. Um, but man, do I have an aversion to feeling like I'm being controlled? Mm-hmm. You know, and we all do. I, well, yeah, I think that goes hand in hand. Ironically, that kind of goes hand in hand with right. it. Right. None of us want to feel like we're being told what to do. Uh, but we all kind of like trying Control. controlling yeah. other people. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you ever convinced someone to stay in therapy when you felt like they should? Um, I wouldn't use the word convinced. Yeah. I, I, I think yeah. there have been times where I have kind of, like you said, helped people maybe think through their own position a little bit more right. and they've kind of decided, oh yeah, I do. But the other part of that is I, a, a very common occurrence for me is people say like, oh, well, you know, I think I'm done. I think I'm good. And I, you know, I maybe have my doubts and I prompt them to kind of think through it a little bit more and they say, no, really, I think I'm good. Mm-hmm. So I say, all right, we'll see you later. Yep. They come back. Yeah. They always come back. Yeah, but you leave that to them. Yeah, but yeah. I leave it to them. And, and I think part of that more and more it's because I, I know the pattern. I know what happens. I guess this, in a nutshell, would be my advice to someone if we've kind of vetted their own motivations and their own obsession with getting their partner into therapy or whoever it is. Um, if, if that turns out to be um, cogent, then I would just say what you said, which is I might help them um, process their own position then, you know, elaborate on, you know, what they thought about this problem. But I think that's, that's as close as you get in some ways without demanding and demanding like we've mentioned is a really low percentage shot. Yeah. Agreed. That's good. Glad we agree on that. We really need Otherwise to I'd have to more. convince <laughs> you of my <laughs> rightness. Stop trying to control me, Todd. Never. Not your pawn. Hey everyone, Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks.